We're going to read together verses 36 through 43. And then John's going to come up and give the message. So now there was a town in Joppa, or there was a, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning the body, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Before we get into the word this morning. Heavenly Father, it's just great to be here. Thank you for Matt reading the scripture for us this morning and the power of your word. And Lord, the, uh, the application that we can take from uh, doing good and the power and the influence of doing good. Thank you for your son who surrendered his life for us on the cross. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. I want to ask you a loaded question. By the way, first of all, those of you that are in the back, how many of you can actually see me? Can you raise your hand? Yeah, I can see you. Okay, is it better if I'm up here? Raise your hand if you think it's better if I'm up here. Raise your hand. Okay, I'll hang up here then. Okay. That's one of the curses of being five, eight and a half, whatever. So <laughs> I want to ask another loaded question. I want you to go back your memory banks to your first full-time job. Remember how excited you were at your first full-time job. But do you remember that moment somewhere in that first few months or so when you felt like you were in the deep end of the pool? Like, even though you had the job, you thought you knew what you were doing, and you realized you needed help. Does that happen to anyone here? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Okay. We've all been in these situations like that. Well, my first full-time ministry, 1984, I'd been doing weekend ministry and as a youth minister, but in 1984, I started full-time preaching every Sunday, that kind of thing, and I really thought I knew what I was doing. And then I got the phone call. When I got the phone call, I realized I'm not trained for this. And here was the phone call. It was a chaplain from the, the hospital, and they said, uh, we have a favor to ask of you. Um, we have a really difficult situation. We know if you'll help. And I said, sure, I'd love to help. Said, a woman last night unexpectedly during childbirth lost her baby, and she wants you to do the funeral. And I remember saying, um, who's the lady? And they said, she doesn't go to church anywhere. But her nurse said that her minister would be glad to do it, and that nurse goes to your church. So thanks a lot. And I got off the phone, and I mean, it was one of those, your heart sinks, and I remember calling Tom Ellsworth, and Tom, at that time, had been at Sherwood Oaks maybe three, four years, and I'm like, Tom, I am totally in the deep end of the pool here. Uh, Most of you that know Tom, you know his story that they lost a child, Tom and Elsie, uh, years and years ago, and I said, I have... I've never done a funeral before, but I kind of in my mind thought I knew what that funeral was going to be like, but this is a woman who just lost her child. I'm getting ready to go to the hospital. What should I say? Tell me what I shouldn't say. What do I need to do? And I'm, I'm just taking notes. And I remember Tom just saying, you just share the love of Christ. Just share the love of Christ. 
And uh, I can tell you to this day, that was still one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, was to talk to this mother and to conduct that funeral. And since then, I cannot tell you how many funerals I've done. But here's when I go in a room to meet with a family, here's the things that I always try to keep in mind. Number one, I want to honor the person that I'm doing the funeral for. Even if I don't know them, I want with the family, I say, I want to honor this person. So you've got to help me do that. Share with me the things deep from your heart. The other thing is, I really want to encourage the family and all the friends. This is not a time to make anybody feel guilty. This is a time to encourage. Have you ever been to a funeral where the minister almost makes you feel guilty? I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, but you're like, this is not the right place. So I never want to be that guy. But last of all, I want everybody sitting there in the funeral to experience the hope of Jesus Christ. That if you know Jesus Christ, you can take hope in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, man, I'm telling you, there's hope. So when you read Revelation 21, and it talks about the new Jerusalem, that's for you. I want you to experience that hope. But here's when I'm meeting with the family. There's three things that I ask, and some of you might think this is kind of interesting. Uh, some of you might think that's kind of weird. But it's on your card. So I want you to pick up your card. So if I was sitting down with you, here's some things that I would ask about a loved one. Is there one scripture that kind of defines their life? So I know this sounds strange, and I know most of you are like, why would you make me think about this? But I want you to think about your funeral. If there was one scripture you wanted shared, what would that scripture be? What's a scripture that just has framed your life, that has inspired you? That has motivated you. Second of all, is there a song? There's lyrics to a song, or there's a certain song that just really, again, lifts your spirits and defines your life. I, uh, when I was in Illinois, before we came to Mount, uh, we were in Mount Plastic, before we came to Bloomington, our church literally was right across the street from the funeral home. So I did a lot of funerals. They would call me and say, we get, we've got nobody else. Will you come across the street? And I'd have my suit, and I'd go. So I did a lot of funerals, and I really got to know these guys really well. So one day, we were sitting in the office before a funeral. I'm like, hey, tell me something. What's the most unique song somebody's ever given you? And they just started laughing. And they said, well, it was an older gentleman who was gathering all the information and collected the songs. And he said, so he didn't know when they handed him this one song. The family assumed they would edit the song down. But he thought it was a hymn. The song was Freebird by Leonard Skinner. Uncut version. Now that's 15 minutes. Can you imagine, you know, poor Bob, so we're going to miss him so much. Let's play that last song. You know, here comes Freebird. 15 minutes of that. So when I pass away, don't play Freebird, okay? Okay? Or just at least play the cut version of Freebird, okay? Now here's another one is one sentence. In other words, a lot of times at funerals, people will stand up and they will share uh, their friend or their family, and they kind of sum it up with a sentence sometimes. This person is really known for, what is that? What do you want people to say about you? What's the one sentence to you? You, you hope the majority of people say, when you think of so-and-so, here's what I think of. What's the one sentence? Now, how that sentence is framed up for a lot of folks is they put that on their tombstone. So we're going to give you some examples of one sentences on some tombstones. Uh, this is one you've all heard. I told you I was sick, so it's obvious this is a bitter person. Okay, uh, these are a couple of celebrities. They might know who Mel Blanc is. That's the voice of Bugs Bunny. So I love that. That's all, folks. That's his way. 
You can't read that, but that's Rodney Dangerfield, and underneath on his tombstone it says, there goes the neighborhood. So Rodney never lost a sense of humor. This was one, interestingly enough, this was at the grave site when we were uh, doing the flags, and uh, it's a woman that says, uh, this is about Valhalla, the nut is gone, but the shell remains. I thought, I don't even know what that means, but it was clever, okay? <laughs> but I honestly want you to think about that. What would be your sentence? Because I think there's a lot of folks in life, they don't even want to think ahead. They don't want to think, I don't even want to talk about my funeral. I've talked to people before, and they'll say, I don't want to talk about death. Well, here's the bottom line. Unless something changes, I think we're all going to die. Would you agree with that? Yeah, just like you were born, you're going to die. So as you're living your life, I think it's okay to fast forward and say, you know what, Lord, this is the kind of life I want to live. So when people stand up and they talk about me, they're not making anything up. That they genuinely are sharing from their heart something. Now, here's what's amazing about the story that Matt read for us this morning in Acts chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, if you have your smartphones, however you want to get to that. Here's what I love about this section of Scripture. It's as if God said in his word, there's this woman named Tabitha, also known, uh, her Greek name would have been Dorcas. And here's what we know about her. Her life was framed in one sentence. So listen carefully in verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas, who was, here's her sentence, always doing good and helping the poor. Now say that with me. Always doing good and helping the poor. That's a pretty good sentence. You can just picture her friend standing up and saying, oh, here's the only thing you need to know about Tabitha. She was always doing good. She was always helping the poor. It's interesting that that name means gazelle or fawn, and I think that was part of her character. She was always thinking about others. It's interesting that this took place in Joppa. You've probably heard that town before Joppa. If you remember your Old Testament studies, you remember Jonah, and he was swallowed up, and he was trying to go to Nineveh, and he was spit out, and where did he end up? In Joppa. So Joppa turns up again, and it tells us that there's this disciple, and a disciple is a learner. It's a follower of Christ, and here's this follower of Christ, and she's doing everything she can to follow Christ by doing good. Now, I want you to look at this sentence because this is really important. I'm going to pull this up. If you look at the Greek word continually, here's what it means. Always. It's the verb tense that is imperfect, implying that this was a habit of doing good. This wasn't a woman that on occasion she did good. This was a habit of doing good. Now, I'm going to ask you to fess up, but everybody in this room has bad habits. Can I have an amen for that? If there's somebody you want to look at right now, just go ahead and look at it. I don't care. We all have really bad habits. My wife will tell you, it's hard to believe, I actually have some bad habits, you know. Like, I, one is I'm a pig, so one of my bad habits is I don't put chips, like, in a bowl. I just kind of grab them and start eating them, and there's just crumbs all over. This has been going on for 30-plus years. My wife's like, seriously, you're a pig, you know. So all of us have habits, bad habits, but we very seldom talk about good habits, this is a good habit. Every morning when she woke up, her heart was so pure, she was going to do what was good and what was right. Matter of fact, it's interesting. I want you to think about this word good. 
it's mentioned 610 times in the Bible. And in Romans 12, 9, it says this, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Now, let me say that again. Let love be genuine. Pull away from evil. And do what? Focus on what is good. What does that mean to be good? Well, it means are your motives pure? We know what it's like. Uh, we're told all the time from a small child on, you just need to do what is good. But let's look at biblically why that's a hard thing to do, to be good. Uh, years ago, I heard a guy at the time, he was a youth minister. Now he's a senior minister at this little bitty church in Louisville called Southeast. I don't know if you've ever heard of that church. Uh, runs about 15,000 on a given Sunday. It is, if you ever go down there, it's like a college campus. It is just an amazing church. But uh, years ago, the minister, Dave Stone, was a youth minister at this little church in Kentucky. And he said on this one particular Sunday night, he gathered his youth group, and he said, hey, we're going to do something really neat tonight. We're going to split you into two groups. And here's what we're going to do. Your goal tonight is to make God smile. So I'm going to give each group, now this was a few years ago, I'm going to give each group $10 dollars. If you want to put some more money in the kitty, you can, but you have two hours, and you're just going to go help somebody else and make God smile. Be back in two hours. Go. That's a pretty cool assignment. So with the first group, put their heads together, and they said, hey, I know what we'll do. Uh, it's a summer season. So they said, we're going to go to the store. We're going to buy a bunch of ice cream and ice cream cones. We're going to go to the nursing home. <laughs> Only high school students. We're going to go door to door giving nursing home patients Ice cream, you know, <laughs> how weird is that? So anyway, that's what that group did. The other group was like, we don't have a clue what to do. So they keep going. One of them said, let's just go to another church and ask them what they want us to do. So they walked across the street. It was a Baptist church, walked across this Baptist church. Youth minister was actually in his office, knocked on his door and said, we have two hours to help someone. Can we help you? You never ask a youth minister, do you need help? Because they always need help. And he goes, I am so glad you guys are here. There's a woman in our church, a widow who needs her yard mowed, and I promised her I'd have somebody to help this weekend. And honestly, until you walked in here, I forgot about her. And I've got to run off and do youth group. Will you go to that address and take care of her yard? Yes, we'd love to do that. Gets the address, they show up, they're mowing, they're doing weeds, they're just having a great time. And about two hours into it, they're all done, and the woman comes out with lemonade, and she pours all the kids lemonade. She said, let's have prayer. They thought, well, okay, that's kind of weird. So they gather around, have a prayer circle, and then she starts crying. And she, she talks to the whole group. She said, I got to tell you, what this means to me, you'll never know. I'm so blessed for the kids of my church that have come here to help. Now, as soon as that guy's telling the story to the whole group that came back, Dave Stone, and by the way, this was their arch rivals. Churches shouldn't have arch rivals, but that was their arch rivals in softball. That's how mature guys are. So, so the youth minister said, I'm sure you told him or told this woman that it was our church that helped. And he goes, I didn't think it was important. I thought we were trying to make God smile. Ouch. Don't you hate kids? Don't you hate kids? That's what they do. But I want you to think about sometimes, I've thought about this in my life, how pure are your motives when you're doing good? Now, I want you to think about that. How pure are your motives? Because I know for me, there are times my motives are not pure. First of all, it's, 
it's really easy to do good because somebody's watching. Do you know what I'm talking about? Somebody's watching. I remember years ago uh, when I was running track and we'd be lifting weights, and sometimes you'd get stuck at a certain weight where you're benching. You know how you could always increase the weight? Bring a girl in the locker room. You just bring her in, and you'd see a guy, oh, oh okay, what just happened? You're not doing good for the team. Let's be on. What's your motives, okay? We all know what it's like that somebody's watching, so we better do good, okay? Now, here's another motive is are you driven by guilt? I'm only doing good because I feel so guilty. And I got to be honest, this happens in the church. There are times over the years I'm like, the only reason I'm showing up for this or that or making the phone call, I just feel guilty. Now, again, that's the Holy Spirit moving. But there are times we need to ask, Lord, am I genuinely doing good for the right reasons? I love this quote. It was on my desk for years by John Wooden, the famous coach from UCLA. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. You cannot live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. What's the heart say about when you're doing good? Now, here's another excuse I've used. I would sure help a lot more people if I just made more money. Man, if I, I'm telling you, if I could make more money, I'd help a lot of people. Now, I want you to think how lame that is when you say, throw that one up to God. God, if you give me more money, I could help. Yeah, like we really would help a lot more people. You ever thought that, man, if I won the lotto, I mean, I'd be Mother Teresa in jeans. You know what I mean? I mean, I would help so many. Okay, now I want you to think about that. What are you doing right now? Because what's interesting here, when I read about Tabitha, I don't think she had a lot of money. Because when you see the good that she did, it wasn't huge amounts of money that was going out. So here's the thing we all need to realize. There's a wonderful book by Andy Stanley. It's called How to Be Rich. And here's a statistic that blows me away. If you earn $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of wage earners in the world. If you make $37,000, you're in the top 4%. So when we say you're not wealthy, guess what? We're wealthy. I can tell you, Matt, who read the scriptures for us this morning, just got back recently from Cambodia where they're dealing with sex trafficking. And I guarantee you, all the folks that Matt was working with, if you ask them, are you wealthy? They would say, I'm wealthy. But are they wealthy by American standards? Absolutely not. See, what we need to realize is we can do good, and we need to do good with what we have. This is what I love about Dorcas. We don't know about her age. We don't know her social status. We don't even know her personal status. We just know she was faithful and she was consistent. This wasn't random acts of kindness. Have you heard that phrase? See the bumper stickers, random acts. You know what? I don't think God's into random acts of kindness. That's okay if you, you're in Starbucks and you pay for the person behind you. Don't get me wrong. If you want to do that for me, great, okay? But I think God wants more than just random acts of kindness. He wants this to be a part of our hearts. So that every day there's a goodness. It's not our goodness. It's his goodness that comes through. So you know the story. She dies. And in those days, because of the region and their culture, they would actually bury people within 24 hours, many times within 12 hours. But yet, deep inside, they were so heartbroken, they moved her body to an upper room, and they sent for Peter. Now, why would they do that? I think I know why. 
because they know in their minds, if there's a miracle, there's a man who witnessed a miracle. He was there when Jesus, in his resurrection, he was there with Lazarus. I mean, this is an apostle. So before we do anything, call out for Peter. He was less than 10 miles away. They ran to get Peter. Peter makes his way, and he comes into this amazing, really, sight. And here's the sight. He comes up to this upper room, and it's just jammed with people. Now, I want you to see who is there. Look at verse 37. All. Say that one word with me. All. The widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and the other clothing Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, I want you to let that sink in. He walks upstairs, and there's this weeping, and there's this crying, and there's this pain that you just you can't even imagine. I mentioned funerals. I can tell you as a minister, you know, the hardest thing the whole time, the whole funeral, it's when everybody leaves except the family, and they're there by the casket the last time. It gets me every time. It wrenches my It just breaks my heart every time. So I can only imagine as Peter's standing there, and all this room is packed, all of these widows that she's helped, And I want you to notice what they did. Did you notice what they did? Peter walks in the room, and they all begin showing him the robes that that he had made. And here's the other thing that Dorcas did. It wasn't just the outer robe. It says that all the clothing, both on the outside that she had made while they were still with him, and it was the other. The other is that was the undergarments. What they were saying is they weren't showing Peter robes. They were saying she gave us dignity. I mean, we were widows. We were broke. We had nothing. And the world just threw us out. Man, we were outcast. And she gave us dignity. You want to know what your mission is? You want to know what my mission is? If you're following Jesus Christ, you bring dignity to other people. Because you're going to have an opportunity every day of your life that there's somebody broken and somebody hurt and somebody that is just crying out and they just need to know they are respected that they are receiving dignity. That's our call. And it doesn't matter race. It doesn't matter if they're anything like you. Are you bringing dignity to that individual? What a huge mission in life and what an impact she had. I read about a Civil War nurse, and I love this story. And she thrived on being a volunteer for wounded soldiers during the Civil War. She was asked, why would you do that? Why would you, first of all, do something that you're not getting paid? And second of all, know every day when you go in there that there's these men and women that are going to die in your arms. Why would you put yourself through that? And here's what she said. When I was a child, there was a terrible fire, and it left my face so scarred that I was ashamed of myself. But I noticed something. When I worked with the wounded soldiers, they didn't notice my scars as much as others. To them, I'm beautiful. This morning, I guarantee some of you, you may not have outward scars, but you have inward scars. And the last word that you think describes you is beautiful. And that's what I love about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ says, come as you are. And I hope everyone that came this morning, I hope you came with that attitude that Jesus Christ loves you, no matter where you are. And the power of reaching out to others like that. We want to show a video of a a place that I'm kind of fond of. 
And our theme today is doing good. And so this is a place that we try every day to practice doing good. So if we can show that. like this place. It's like my second office outside IU because I meet friends from church. I meet students like a few minutes ago before this one of my students was here and he said how comfortable this is. That student mentioned that he is not a Christian but he's really interested in knowing more about this and this is the only place I feel like we could talk about something like that. I think one of the first few times I was here I was sitting in a booth and there were a couple college students behind me and they were talking about being a Christian and what their faith was as a college student and it was very inspiring to me. For me, I guess um, when I come here and I spend my money and then I give a tip, uh, it means that, that that tip is being used in the mission field. I mean everyone wants to volunteer, give or donate but this provides an opportunity to give globally and locally at the same time. I've realized that as I come in here, I'm receiving as well. A lot is poured into me. A lot of goodness is poured into me. And Ali, your perspective is important as a manager of this place. It's not just a place you work, is it? I mean, it's No, it's you know, I, I've worked in a lot of places, and this is the only place where I can honestly feel so, the minute I walk in the doors, every day I feel good. It's just a very peaceful, loving environment. We're kind of on a strip where there's just a bunch of bars and just kind of like that nightlife. But here's that safe haven of, like what I was saying before, a breath of fresh air. But being centrally located um, for Bloomington, I, I, I think is key. It's key to, to where we're at. I think it's just a, a great spot because you're, you're catching the college crowd, you're catching locals, business people, homeless, people who are wandering lost in the city. There's just been numerous times where that's, they've been lost and they've even said it to us lost what is this place and we kind of explain it and it's their new place to be you know then they're here every day and yet we know that the lives that we have touched have I mean it's it's amazing it's global I and mean, the I think it's over fifty thousand dollars has been donated in tips alone in fact our big thing is this is not a Christian coffee house it's a coffee house driven by Christians, and there's a huge difference. Because, I mean, the backpacks locally, or uh, are we able to donate to build a school in Uganda earlier this year? Like, how amazing is that? Oh, yeah. I mean... That is so, like you said, it's, we've, we've touched lives all the way over here in Uganda, and we also reached out to people who dealt with the flood right in our backyard. Right. Yeah. So. I feel like this goodness that is poured in here goes beyond what people imagine. And I love what you said. It's just a, it's a word of encouragement. It's hope. You know, Ali, you shared when you came in, life was hopeless. And you were at such a low point. And if we can just do that, man, I think this is, a, this is an amazing place. It's hard to believe that was uh, eight years ago. Wait, we didn't film that eight years ago. That was last week. But anyway, eight years ago, uh, we went to the, the leadership with the congregation and just said, listen, we got a crazy idea. What would it be like if we were to have a, a coffee house on Kirkwood? 
And what if we just said our theme is pouring goodness? It's good to have Pam here. And, and what that means to just open up every day and say, let's just get out of the way and see what God can do. And, and I'm not just saying this because I've been a part of this for a long time. I, I've never been in the poorhouse for more than a couple hours, like if I'm sitting there, that I don't hear a spiritual conversation going on somewhere, that it's an atmosphere where Christ is shared. And all of us, all of us are in the pouring goodness business. The impact of the West Side has nothing to do with, is the music great? Do we have biscuits and gravy? I mean, all that's great. It's what happens when you leave this place. And are you taking the love of Christ with you wherever you go? And realize it's our responsibility to pour goodness. It's our responsibility to give people goodness. I want to just close with one verse this morning. You know it very well. It was the end of a parable that Jesus shared in Matthew 25, 23. And it has the word good in it. Because here's what matters. At the end of it all, as much as I love it when I'm a part of a, a Christian funeral and uh, people are sharing how this individual's life touched so many others, I mean, that just that does more for me than you could possibly imagine. But that's not the best. You think that's as good as it gets, that you've lived out your life and you've made an impact on others. Here's when you know it's as good as it gets. It's when you get beyond the grave. It's when you stand face to face with Jesus Christ. It's when he reaches out to you and he says, well done, what? Good and faithful servant. It's like Jesus saying, you were faithful doing good. That's what I want to hear. I hope that's what everybody here wants to hear. So I want to challenge you right now, wherever you're at in your life, whatever struggles you're facing, and maybe your struggle is that there's, there's times in your life you feel like, I'm not doing what God's called me to do. Maybe your struggle is just that you're broken this morning, but we're here to pray with you. We have elders here. and We have others on our prayer team. They're just here to care and to reach out to you as we stand and as we sing.